Praise the Lord, everybody. Seen some new faces that I've known for a long time. Good to see you, brother. You know who I'm talking about. Do one of those winks from afar. Known him since he was a little boy. Now he's a man. If this is the first time at One Seed Church, welcome. Wow. You guys actually came together and sat together. Praise the Lord. See, it feels funny at first, but then you kind of like it. You'll start liking it because you're like, hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, yeah, good, good to see you. Hey, go, go, let's hug it out. You know, it's just, it's what happens. But yeah, you know, uh, we, we were at the lake this week. Let me preface that when I go to the lake, I have a problem of actually working the entire time. I have an office set up there and the kids wait for me all day to try to do something actually fun. And by about four o'clock, I'm ready to go and they've been waiting on me. So I've been a bad dad in that regard. I'm trying to change the habit but we're in a state park, and when we leave, there's this ridiculous, windy road that you have to go through. There's no cell service. And my kids always want to just hop right on their video games in the car, whether it's a tablet or like a 3DS or whatever, or some kind of handheld device. And it, they're, they, they take after their daddy. You know, I get a little nauseous when I look down or if I'm trying to read a book. I can't handle reading. And Colton is in the very back of our, our truck, and it's a long truck, and the further back, the, the worse it seems to be that you get nauseous if you try to do anything. He said, Dad, Dad, I wanna, I wanna play my games. I said, no, wait till you, wait till we get out to the main road, Colton. But Dad, Dad, it's fine, it's fine. Taz, I said, wait till we get out to the main road. Finally, about, it's about a 15 minute drive through, through the park. And I caved in a couple minutes earlier. I said, fine, go ahead. Oh, okay, okay, thanks, thanks. He gets on there about one minute later. Dad, I think I'm going to throw up. And I said, son, your father tried to protect you with a barrier to wait till we got out into the main road, but you didn't want to listen to your father. You wanted to do it your way. Hold on, I'm going to pull this mic down. Car. Check, 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 check. Yeah, there we go. Check one, two, check. Hey, that's what you got to do, folks. You got to keep it real. I won't hurt you guys with this volume. So we're in the road, and I'm going to throw up. I said, I told you. I tried to tell you. No, Dad, it's the way you drive crazy. <laughs> See how he flips the script on me? That's why we call him Taz, the devil, the Tasmanian devil. I said, son, if you would listen to your father, how many know we ask the father, he gives in, and then we blame the father when it didn't work out the way he said we should have done it the first place, we did it our way, and then we go, God, why'd you do that? I'm going to throw up, God. So that was that. But we came home, and, you know, this, this whole idea of roadblocks and barriers has been on my, my mind, and it, it actually made me think of baby dedications and we've never talked about dedications here yet at one seat church but if you have a baby uh, we don't christen babies we dedicate them and what that means is if you have a newborn an infant even a toddler there's no age limit it's typically done the earlier the better we anoint them with oil as a church we pray over that baby and we give back the blessing to God and pray that God protects that baby as it grows up. And one way it protects the baby, God protects the baby, is he creates barriers through family. 
And I remember at my baby's dedications, it was a reoccurring theme that part of the dedication was to reaffirm that family would protect that baby by the grace of God, and we would be the arms and feet as that child grows up. And when that child starts taking, taking his trip down the, the country road, and he wants to play the game, and we know it's bad for him, that family will step in and say, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry, nephew. I'm sorry, niece. I'm sorry, friend. I'm sorry, whoever it is that is a mentor in your life. You got to wait till we get out on Highway 42 and have service again. It's our diligence, due diligence to create a barrier sometimes for our children. And then if you have a baby you'd like to dedicate, we love to dedicate your baby, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for that protection to create barriers because that baby doesn't always know what it's getting into. It just thinks it knows once it's old enough to make bad decisions, like pooping its pants. You don't want to do that, Kaylee. You don't want to poop your pants until mom gets home. That would not be wise. She never listens. See, sometimes God has to get our attention. It's worse for others than some. Some of us are a little thick between the ears. We may be heading down a course that looks good, feels good, and appears good, but it's not in his will like we think. When we perceive an event or situation that feels like a roadblock or an inhibitor to progress, the very fact is it may be a barrier that was put in place by God himself to get you to head down another road which is lit by the shine of his glory and will for your life. Are you stuck at a roadblock that has you sitting still? You've hit the roadblock, you're just not doing anything. Thank you, devil, you win. You don't know where to go to get around this barrier and all you wanna do is move on, but you're stuck at the roadblock. If we go to Acts chapter nine, verse one through nine, if I said, Paul the apostle, you'd go, oh yeah. But what if I said, Saul of Tarsus, would you do the same? How many know who Saul of Tarsus is? It's Paul the apostle. But God changes names when things happen in our heart, just like Jacob became Israel, Sarai became Sarah, Abram became Abraham. Saul was Hebrew for Paul, which was Greek. But coincidentally, which I believe the Word of God has no coincidences, the Bible starts referring to him as Paul when his heart changed. So we're going to go to this passage where smart guy, he's got it together. He's got it figured out. Oh, Saul of Tarsus. I always think of a Ford Taurus when I hear Saul of Tarsus, and I think he's driving a Taurus, and I go, no, that's not in the Bible. It's because my brain does weird stuff with letters. I think I'm lixdexic or dyslexic or whatever they call it. But he's going to go to Damascus because he's trying to catch these Christians serving the Lord, and he's trying to imprison them. He wants to kill them, and he thinks he's doing the will of God because Jesus ain't it. So we go to verse 1. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, 
the way being the light of the world, the way following Christ. If I find anybody who's doing that, I'm going to get them, is what he said. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly, everybody say, suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. Now there's debate, conjecture on the internet whether he was on a horse, whether he was on foot, whether he was on some type of animals. It doesn't matter because in his heart, he was riding his high horse in his heart. He had a mission and he knew what he was doing. He was confident and he was going forward. But it says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Hmm, interesting. Who are you, Lord? Who are you as I say who you are? You see that? He knew something was happening. Then the Lord said, it didn't say, and Jehovah said, it says, the Lord said, I am Jesus. How many know that the spirit that dwelt in Christ is the same spirit that created the heavens and the earth that moved upon the people on the day of Pentecost and so forth? It is the Spirit, He is God. He's just the vessel that the Spirit came in. People get confused over that. It's actually that simple. He didn't say, I am God of the Old Testament. He said, I am Jesus. Jehovah saves the Word made flesh, whom you are persecuting. This is, this is my favorite part. And it is hard for you to kick against the goads. How many know what a goad is? Come on, we got some farmers in here. You know what a goad is. No? It's a spear. It's a spike. And when those oxen get out of line, we're going to stick them in you know where with that goat. And they're going to they're going to they're going to start going down the right path. When they get off course, those oxen want to go over here and you stick them with that goat. And that's how you guide the oxen. Jesus says to Paul to Saul, I know you're kicking against those goats that are sticking you. You see, my force that I move, my movement of new life in Christianity is going forward, Saul, whether you like it or not, and you can't kick against these goats. It's going forth. You can't stay clear of these goats. Christianity has been born. That's what he's telling him. Jesus is cool, man. He's got kind of a sense of humor. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. He's saying, you can't do it. You're going to get speared. We tell you where to go. I am the Lord, and I am telling you where to go. Thank you, Lord. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go in the city, and you be told what you must do. He didn't say, you're going to go do this, and I'll go do it. He said, you go here, and then you'll find out. It's called faith, Saul, and if you want what I got for you, then you got to walk first, find out later. It's not find out, then walk. That's not faith. That's logic. We walk first. We go where God tells us to go, and we just know he'll take care of it. Amen? It's like that. It's like this church. I don't know where this church is going to go, but I'm walking. I'm not going to worry about it because God's got it, and he's got the best interest for us. That's why we just walk. That's why we just serve. That's why we give. That's why we do all those things, because we don't have to worry about it. He says, you just go, buddy, and you will find out soon. And the men who were with him journeyed and stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. See, his posse was with him. They heard Jesus also. That's a little, a little creepy, especially when you're trying to kill Christians. 
And you hear the man himself say, hey, guys, uh, I'm watching you. I see you. He's doing these to all these people. Your body around you is important. Who you keep around you is important. Some will be converted, and some will go by the wayside. But it's important you have a posse that believes like you, unified. We have our unified get-together because we want to be of one mind, one body in Christ. So they heard him, too, and they were freaked out, too. Then Saul arose from the ground after he got the gravel out of his tush. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. They led him. Oh, it's because he was without sight for three days. See, God took his vision in the process. How many know God will give you a reminder that he's doing something? Like when he touched Jacob's hip, he shrank his hip socket when he wrestled with him in the middle of the night. Remember wrestling for position? Weeks ago we talked about he touched Jacob's hip when he became Israel. See, God will give you a reminder that you will never forget. And he blinded Paul for three days, and he didn't eat, and he didn't drink for three days. So they had to walk him there. His vision was never the same, might I add, from that point forward. The title of my message today is Roadblocked. Roadblocked. See, my greatest barriers may be my greatest opportunities to see and hear God. See, God takes away my earthly eyes and my earthly ears, and now I can start seeing with my spiritual eyes and my hearing with my spiritual eyes. Ears. He's got to knock us off our high horse. He's got to get, get us off our high horse. Like Saul, we're working against God and we don't even realize it. That's a scary place to be. It's one place to not serve God, but it's another thing to be fighting God and propagating the enemy's work and calling it the love of God. Welcome to America. Ooh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, I know. It's because we're distracted with it. I'm just going to be on Facebook and pretend it doesn't happen. That's what I do. We're fighting against our own destiny that God has for us, and we build so much confidence in the wrong things. We're really good at killing Christians, but that's not the will of God, so what's the point? We're fighting God. We're inhibiting our progress, and we have to get off our high horse in order for God to get our attention because when we're like Paul and we're just, this is, this is our mind mentality. I've been there. I don't need no input. I got it figured out, and I'm going right into rush hour traffic with my horse, and if someone don't step in and throw a stick in the road to trip me, I'm going to die. That's what family's for. That's what God is for. God works through family to protect you when you don't know better, when you're too infant in your mind and your walk with God, that's what people with more season come in and try to protect you. It's called love. Oh, I almost pulled out my other scripture early, but I'm not ready to, but I almost did. That's good, that's good preaching. That means it's in me, it's in me. You got people supporting crazy stuff in this world. I'm sorry, but if you think it's good for a child to choose their own gender, make that decision. That's not the love of God. That's, that's, that's what we got going on. We, you know, it's beyond like the top, it's beyond the, the t- typical controversial topics. It's, it's crazy now. It's like, it's like people calling themselves Christian and saying, if you don't allow this child to choose what gender they think they should be at five years old, then you're a hater. That's scary. That's Saul-like. 
That's what Saul was doing. He was propagating the enemy's work to confuse so much that you don't know what way is up and you don't know what way is down. And now sin no longer matters. It doesn't matter. If you say that's sin, you're a hater on me. No, no, I'm sorry, honey. It's called sin, and I'm not the one who convicts. I'm not the one who judges. The word of God is the judge. Just look at it. It'll tell you for you. But you won't go in there because you don't want to know. The truth never changes. Our perception of the truth will change, but the truth itself cannot change. And my greatest barriers are necessary in order for me to see and hear God a lot of times. The enemy wants you to think you're doing real good, but sometimes we need a light shown on us to expose some issues. If we don't look at the issues, we're gonna die a slow, miserable death anyway. Didn't mean for that to be so cynical sounding, but it's the truth. Kaylee, she's my other. Tazette, we call her. Tazette, she's so cute when she's Kales. But when she becomes Tazette, she's got that stern look. You tell her no, she'll, she'll do this. She'll, I'm not joking. She would dead look you in the eye, straight face. Tell her no, she's creeping towards what you're telling her no about. Till you snatch her up, she, she knows it's coming. Slap on the thigh, the fatty part. So it stings, but doesn't hurt them. She knows it's coming, and she's got this thing. She likes to go in the pantry, and we have like three shelves up, a bowl of candy. And she thinks it's okay for her to go in there and climb the shelves like a little chimpanzee and be eating the candy. And she's a, she's a tiny little two-year-old. She's almost three, and most people think she's one because she's a little squirt. And so she can actually fit on a shelf like a, like, like a jar of candy. She can sit in the shelf with the other shelf clearing her head. And she climbs the shelf one time, and I go in there, and she's sitting on like the third shelf, you know, the white shelves that are they're not that strong and I'm thinking dear God one of these days it's going to collapse on you and crush you and all the carrot can goods are going to fall on your little peanut head because you're too hard-headed to listen when we say don't go up the pantry shelf so that's what she does so but then she's got the candy and she's hi dada it's in her hair and she doesn't know she doesn't know unless I teach her. There's no fear or awareness that she's headed to her own death when that shelf falls on her life, falls on her head, and then here we are going to Progress West again, getting a bill that's wrong, and then the next five years we got to fight the billing department of Progress West because they can't get their billing straight, and then they turn us into collectors even though we have excellent credit, and we start the process over again when the next kid comes every year. Oh, we finally had to stop having kids at four. I don't have damage from this. I don't have issues. Why would you think that? That's awesome. Glad you think so. There's only one who sits on the throne, and that's God, and he's the one who needs to knock you on your behind sometimes to get you to figure it out. Because we, we dumb sometimes. We just keep going down the wrong path, and sometimes we just got to get knocked on our behind like Saul. You hear about near-death experiences. I have this memory, and I, I can't call it fact because I don't remember if it's true of, of a particular friend of mine. I thought I had this friend, and then when I was writing my notes, I said, is that true? Did that happen to him? So I'm going to not say 
him. But I know there's people who have near-death experiences, and you hear stories about them being in the ambulance, and then they're seeing flames in their, in their mind and, in their, and in, their, in their like nightmares, and then they get resuscitated, and then they change their life. That's what happened to Saul. It's another example of Saul falling on his behind. They, they have a conversion in their heart because something shook them up so hard to get their attention, they finally saw the light, like literally. They go, whoa, this life thing is a little different than I was planning. Saul's instincts and influence were powerful, but he was using them for the wrong things. It matters. And isn't it funny how God left him in a state of blurriness? He wasn't really going to just okay, that happened. Let me go back to doing my work, and I'll I'll talk with you later, God. No, he said, you're blind now, bro. You're not going to eat. You're not going to drink. You're going to be thinking about this for three days. He didn't have much else to do except think about it because he's led by hand. See, God will shake us up so bad, he's going to give us a situation to leave us in ability to not able to focus for a temporary period so that we can pay attention to what he's trying to do, which is change the path we're going in the road to make us go back towards Jerusalem, not to Damascus. He's got to shake us up. That's, ha- that's happened to me. He's got he's to knock you off your high horse, and you get shaken up, and you're not able to focus, and you're, you're left with a bit of confusion for a moment. But God will speak to you in those situations of blurriness. When your world is shaken up, that's when he brings focus to him. They fight each other. It's like fasting. We suffer physically so that we can strengthen ourselves spiritually. They battle each other. Paul fasted doesn't say he fasted. It said he didn't eat or drink. But that, let me tell you, would increase his strength in the Lord. He's got no sight. He's not eating. He's not drinking. Let me tell you, he's leaning on God at this point. For three days, someone's holding him by the hand. After being in charge of everything, God's got his attention. He had to knock him off his high horse and leave him without the ability to focus. God will take away something temporarily so you're not distracted with the world while he's trying to show you something. See, he had a plan for Saul. We know, we talked about this morning. Paul, Greek, Saul, Hebrew. Paul went on to be the greatest apostle by most opinion in the New Testament because God got his attention. It wasn't going as he planned. You lost something and you don't understand. Some of us have hit that barrier on the road. I know I have. Mine was music. And if you've said, well, Pastor Jeff, you've talked about this. I know it's because I got damage. It's a barrier that is a reoccurring reminder in my mind of when God turned me from Saul to Paul. See, I had, I had 100% confidence that God wanted me to be a rock star. It just made sense to me. It made sense that God would want me to be a rock star. And I was 100% dedicated. I gave everything. Anybody that knows me, there's one thing I promise you they would say. They say, Jeff was never doubtful when he pursued his music career, he was dedicated. There was no question when I went to Nashville and I pursued it, there was other people there pursuing it too. And they're like, man, slow down. You're making me tired. Just watch it. It's like, well, man, I got to do it because it's my passion. And it's still, see, see, but it was going towards somewhere that wasn't leading to God. And so God shook me up. And when I, when I didn't work out and I had this plan that now I was going to come home and I was going to move to LA, that's the cool thing to do. And I'm going to start over with the music career. And I'm thinking, I can't start over. It's been 10 years. I can't, I can't start over again. I can't, but I know this is God's will. I know it is God's will. It was my will. 
God knocked me off my horse. He left me blurry. I didn't know who I was for a couple years. Thank God I met my wife because she's the only one that brought value to my life. People say, hey, hey, Jeff, how's the music going? I say, I don't know. Let's not talk about it. Let's talk about something else. That's, that's all you ever ask me. All they would ask me is, how's the music going? How's the music going? How's the music going? How's the music? It was everything to me. That's all I knew. You understand? And so when that got taken away from me, I didn't know who, my, I, didn't know who I was. You mean I got to go get a job like a normal person? It sounds superficial, but I'm telling you, it messed me up for a long time. And it was when, that's, that's, when I, that's when I got the Holy Ghost. That's when God shook me up so bad that I hit this, this pit that I had never hit, even though I knew Jesus, but I wasn't living for Jesus, and there's a difference. And I hit this pit, and that's when he shined the light on me and said, listen, boy, I want to take you into a manhood. you got to follow me now and use it for my glory. Do you understand? I said, yes, Lord. That's my Saul of Tarsus moment in my life, and there's been others. But that state of blurriness is when I got focused in the Lord, and I saw some things changing. And my greatest barrier became my greatest opportunity to see and hear God. Saul heard the voice of God who declared his name. See, God has a name. God is not a proper noun. God is a thing. Jesus is the name. The name identifies who it is you serve. And there's a, there's a reason behind the name. And I've got another message coming in about a month about the name and why we call him Jesus and why we say we are Christians. It's, it's more than a trend. It's a life thing. It represents our life. And if our life doesn't match who we say we are following, there's a problem. It's not the same. It's not a joke. It's life or death. It's life or death. Man, this message is just so full of encouragement. <laughs> I just got to spit it if God gives it. God sees your potential, though, in what you think is a failure. But he wants you to turn around. Don't get stuck at the, the stick in the road. Yeah, he had to throw the stick in the road so you trip, and it hurt for a second. But he had to do it because he loves you. And if you don't ever wake up and look up and go, dear God, my life's going by. I'm going to be 40 years old in January, and I'm going, my life is moving. And it's going to happen to all you youngsters, too. You're going to feel it someday. You're going to go, whoa, I remember when he said my life's going quick. i got to look up and see the light shining on me because something ain't right. It's not working my way. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to succeed. You have to do it his way. I digress. In 2011, I hit another barrier, another roadblock. I was serving a company that I hated from the beginning. And if you're out there, I won't say your name because I don't hate you now, now I thank you. And it was so bad that I got let go. You know, I've been let go a few times because I was a contractor. They're the first ones to go. They pull you in the office. Well, Jeff, we appreciate your work, but we're letting you go. You gotta go now. It's tech. In technology, they don't wait. You gotta go now. Let me tell you, when you invest in people and they say, see ya, gotta go right now. When I was a youngster, it hurt until I learned that that was standard procedure. They don't care how you feel. They say, you got to go. It's procedure. It's security. We don't care if you've invested in us. You got to go. Now, your things, yeah, we got them for you. You're not allowed to go back there. I left that job 
that I hated. And I, I had a business I had started about three years earlier that I sat on the shelf. You can have a business by going to a website and clicking submit, pay your $50 and boom, you got a business. Doesn't mean you're in business. And I sat there and I didn't do anything with it. And I thought, God, this is, this is where I feel like I need to go. But how do, how do they get there? How does that happen? Well, I got let go of the job and I came home and within an hour, I am not joking, a buddy of mine hired me through my business as a contractor. And I go, wow, look at that making more money, more money, more money in an hour from a job I thought I was losing and I was so thankful. That was eight years ago and that business has now grown quite a bit. And this isn't a boasting session. This is saying that God will turn your barrier into the greatest blessing you've ever seen. Let me tell you, letting go of that job was the best thing outside of my family, outside of my salvation that has ever happened to me. It created opportunities that you see in here. It created opportunities. My wife started staying home from work. We get to homeschool our kids. We got to build a house. We got to do a lot of things that don't matter to God, but God gave us provision in a new way because we said we're going to go another direction. It was eight years ago. It was so powerful, I kid you not, I wanted to look up the guy who fired me and thank him. Say, man, this is really weird, but you letting go of me was the best thing that's ever happened in my career because that's the push I needed. If you hadn't have thrown me on the ground and shined a light on me and made me had to think for a minute, I just kept trucking down, getting my 3% that they stiffed me on every year anyway. See, I devalued myself based on the system. God had so much more in me that I wasn't letting out because the world was telling me I was only worth this. You see, I had to step out and say, I don't care what the world says. I'm going to do what God wants, and I'm going to act in faith. Opportunity for greatness lurks in the barriers you perceive as roadblocks, but maybe God put them there. Jesus loves you so much, he's willing to let you fail so you can turn it around. Yeah, you want to play those games? Go ahead. Throw up so I can say, I try to tell you, your daddy tried to tell you, and now you're going to listen to your daddy next time? Probably not, because you know, he's a little hard-headed, and it takes three or four times or blood in the situation for him to actually listen to his father. In the confusion and blurriness of that roadblock is when I'll find clarity. He will uncover that our actions were maybe not glorifying him like we think, but I look just like all the others. It doesn't matter how they look. What does the God say is what matters. He may be another direction and he wants you in it. In the fear of the Lord, everybody say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of Come on now. Come on now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think that's right. I don't even know. My brother's probably right. It's my dyslexic. Stick it in again. Looks dyslexic. Anyway. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. One of my favorites. It's one of the only ones I know by heart in two different versions. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. In the New King James, for what son does a father not chasten? In the King James, what son does a father chasteneth not? Reprimand. God loves you. He's going to have to reprimand. If he loves you, if he don't love you, he's not going to reprimand. Son, you want to play those games? You're going to throw up. You better listen to me. I'm going to have to spank you. He's got to shine a light on it. That's how we get restored. That's how Paul got restored to greatness. 
because he said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Go here and you'll find out. It's the restoration to greatness. Saul later is referred to as Paul because the conversion happened and he became one of the most influential leaders of the New Testament. But God can't restore when we're not willing to get off the horse. And sometimes he has to knock us off the horse because he loves us so much he's willing to hurt you for a, t a season to help you in eternity. It's like our basement. You see the comparison. It's like our basement with all the boxes. For so many years, our basement looked like a pack rat lived there. And stuff was just kind of piling up. And we built a new house. I said, now if we fill this basement, there is a problem. Boxes started filling the basement. Something ain't right here. We're, we're filling the basement, but we're, we're running out of space. See, there was no room. And after years of marriage, I won't say who, somebody said, well, maybe I should get rid of some of this. Let's have a garage sale. Let's donate. We've been clearing that puppy out for the last month. It's been the greatest freedom ever. I'm starting to see my concrete again. God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Because the floor was covered with toys and boxes. No one else gets excited about this. That's okay. You got to be in it to know what I'm saying. But you, you'll, be, you'll be jumping with me too someday. You guys with me? God won't force you to do anything. Saul asked, what do you want me to do? If you want God to deliver for you, really ask God what he wants you to do. Quit telling him what you want him to do for you. Try it. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I have the patience for that. Well, it might end worse then. You might be blinded for three days because God says, I'm trying to go easy, but you're not listening. And I love you so much that I'm going to go and go and go until you listen. If you're 90, you're going to listen. If you're 100, that's when you're going to have that baby, Sarah. Don't doubt me. You don't know when it's going to happen, but he's going to keep going until you listen. God wants to use you for great things, but you got to ask him. Those around you may not understand, and some may be converted with you, like the posse who heard Jesus speaking with Saul. We need believers around us. We need like-minded believers around us. It's so important to stay encouraged because we're all people, and that's why we come to church. It's called fellowship. It's not because it's a mandated thing that you must do X, Y, Z to get into heaven. No, it's like part of my life is supplementing teaching, supplementing learning, and worshiping back, and giving praise to God, and fellowshipping with the people we love, and that's why we, we push you guys to talk, and we push you to get up and do these things, because people have been taught by tradition that it doesn't matter, but it does matter because it changes your heart. I've been there. I was the most stern churchgoer when I was a kid. I wouldn't lift my hands. I wouldn't do nothing. And I, I, I believed in it, but I still wouldn't do it. I, just, I, didn't, I didn't like to do it. I wouldn't do it. I had a pastor come grab my arms and yank them up in the air once. I almost punched him in the face. And I love the guy. It's a true story, though. My instinct was to, to clock him one. I said, don't touch me. That's not what we want here. We want you to feel free. See, we're free, and we're going to be one body, and we're going to act free. And God will change everything for you when we start walking. You guys know fasting. Paul was technically fasting because he wasn't eating or drinking. Fasting is when you give something up, but we haven't talked about fasting. 
But the reason fasting is important in different degrees, you can do a near-death fast like my dad used to do. He didn't eat or drink anything. Or you can just cut out some of the distractions, some of the temptations in your life. You want to weaken yourself in the physical so you become more attentive in the spiritual. And so you take away the things that you got to have, and then you're reminded who your maker is right away. You take away the air condition. You take away the, the, the pantry with the potato chips, and you take away the Oreo cookies in the pantry that you have to grab at night, and then you really go, oh, Lord, Lord, I serve you, Jesus. No more Oreos? I know it sounds shallow, but everybody has a different level of ability in their fasting. Evidently now you can fast websites too. Come on now. Let's fast some real things and let's see what God can do. I challenge you. God has a plan waiting for you, but he won't force you to go find it. He can replace our roadblock with a pathway of gold. The path may be bumpy, and not always joyful because anybody that knows about Paul, he didn't have the greatest life, but he had the most powerful influence in the New Testament. If you guys could stand to your feet with me. Some of you have hit a barrier, but you don't even know it's God. You just think it's life. So I ask you to ask yourself, Maybe is that something God is putting in your path to change your direction because he's trying to actually protect you. If you're chastening, God deals with you with sons. But what son is he when the father does not chasten? He loves you. I have to make you fall, son, daughter, in order to get your attention because I'm over here. Ask God to give you clarity. Ask God, what do you want me to do, Lord? Tell me where to go. Don't ask God, tell me first how it's going to end because he won't do that. He'll tell you like he told Saul, you go and you'll find out, my child. I love you that much. You can trust me. Amen? You can trust me. I've had situations, barriers, roadblocks in my life. Well, the roadblock was so heavy, that's all I saw. See, I saw I hit the roadblock, but I couldn't turn and walk because I was stuck, fixed on the roadblock. And something happened in this process with me that may help you. That when I see that face of that person who hurt me, or I see that job, or I see that person that broke my heart, and it's just stuck. I can't get it out of my head. I go to work, that's what I see. I go to bed, that's what I see. I can't do anything. So something happened where I started replacing it with the face of Jesus, whatever I imagined he might look like, because I don't know for sure what it looked like. But in my, my mind, in my imaginary mind, I started thinking of Jesus' face. And what happened is every time that popped up, boom, Jesus' face would over, go over it. And it started happening, and it became a pattern. And within a few weeks, yeah, weeks, it went away. I replaced it with Jesus. I replaced the barrier. I said, I'm not going to be bound to this barrier. If I tripped, I fell for a reason, and I'm going to walk towards a path of gold. I'm not going to let it hold me back. Now that I've discovered I was going the wrong way, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go. 
I'm going to go. You want to try to remind me, devil? Jesus. You're going to try to remind me again? Jesus. You to try to remind me again? Jesus. I'm going to keep putting my Jesus face right on you, devil. Every time you pop up, all I see is Jesus. All I see is Jesus. Oh, no, I'm not going to go there. You're not going to get me to talk about that again. I'm not going to gossip about them again. I'm not going to start talking about their business again because it never works for me. And I'm going to hit another barrier if I do. I'm going to put it on Jesus and I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk away. Jesus. I got Jesus what you got to do sometimes. It depends how bad it is. I want to pray. If we could come together. This is not an altar call. I just want to pray over you once in a while. And this, this is a special time. If we got to bow our heads, and we are already pretty close, so I think that'll, that'll work. But if we could bow our heads, Lord, we come to you in faith, God, that barriers are not the end. Sometimes they are the beginning and God, we know that your barrier is to shift us to the path you're guiding us to, that we're headed towards desolation, but you want us to go towards the pathway of gold. And if you got to trip us, Lord, if you got to throw a twig in the road and make us fall and stumble, that's okay, God, because we truly want, Jesus, what you want for us. Help us, God, not be selfish with our actions. Help us really reach for you and walk in faith and not be worried about the outcome, but to be faithful. And if everybody could say, in Jesus' name, amen.